0: Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth Weekly Podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit Antiochfortworth.com. This is our last week in a series looking at a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about me first. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm a Cowtown gal, and uh, I was raised to be June Cleaver, I know some of y'all don't know who that is. She was a 1950s housewife, 60s, 50s, and 60s, and she wore heels, which I don't wear, and she wore dresses, which I rarely wear, and pearls. I do have pearls. And she would greet Ward at the end of his work day every day with a kiss on the cheek. She had a hot meal waiting, and the kids were perfectly dressed and, and uh, had done their homework. And so that was Warden June, and the vision that I had when I went to Baylor University, a Sikkim. And, uh, but I failed in my pre-wed degree. I've yet to complete my MRS degree, but I did okay in elementary education, but I did go on from there to get an MBA and uh, decide I'm, yeah, anyway, I won't even go into that. That's enough. So I, and I ended up leaving the business world to go into missions. And God placed in me as his image bearer a passion to go to join him and others in the unreached places in the earth. And so in that context, I've been to around 90 countries around the world, and um, I seem to have this thing for war zones. I don't know what that is, but I've been to, I said earlier, maybe that has something to do with my family. I Anyway, that was a joke. Um... <laughs> And I've been to a lot of places where living means surviving. Uh, I've lived among refugees in Dallas. I've encountered persecuted believers who'd been imprisoned for their faith and been under security threats myself and been approached by those who were under threat and of death and asking for help. And I've had a lot of friends who were kidnapped and released. And then I've had other friends who paid the ultimate sacrifice, and are now with the Lord and that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on today. And I've encountered him in other cultures, and I've had the privilege of sharing and living his good news with those who've never heard of him. And I've seen lives transformed by his grace and his kingdom increase in some dark places. His light shines bright in the darkness So I lived in Afghanistan for seven years and I started a business doing training, coaching and consulting and I got to travel and work throughout the country and into Libya. I used to go to work in a helicopter with a flak jacket and a gunner at the door. I mean, you know, and now I live in Fort Worth, Texas and I am taking care of my mom and um I do trauma healing work and other ministry with refugees and asylum seekers, and I train and coach goers. Now, I've noticed that people who get up here typically show a picture of their family, and I thought I could show y'all a picture of my family. My, I have great nephews. They're all six foot five. Um, I've got four great nephews and great brothers and sisters-in-law and all that. But I thought I'd show this week. Maybe y'all knew that this week was National Dog Day. And so I thought I'd show you a special picture of my traveling companion. This is a little bit, we're going down I-30 on the way to Dallas here, right at about 55, no. So, yeah, let's, let's jump in. So I, I want to pray and just welcome the Holy Spirit here. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here today, and I pray that you would come with your presence and your power. I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Speak to everyone in this word, in this room, just a word of encouragement, a word of life, a word of hope, a word of destiny, and just have your way today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we all love a good story, a story of overcoming and stories where God makes a way, where there seems to be no way. And I want to tell you a story of overcoming that can be summed up in two sentences. Persecution threatened to wipe out Iran's tiny church. Instead, Iran's church has become the fastest growing church in the world and is influencing the region for Christ. Now let me tell you a little bit more of the rest of the story. In 1993, there was a pastor who had come from Islam to follow Jesus named Pastor Debaj. And he was arrested and imprisoned. Another Iranian pastor, Pastor Haik, began to put word out to the international community so they could put uh, pressure on the Iranian government to release him. And the Iranian government came to Pastor Hayek and they said, hey, you know, if you keep doing this, we're going to come after you. And he basically said, hey, I'm ready. And they said, but don't you have four children? And Pastor Hayek said, yes, I do. And Pastor Debaj also has four children. And he was relentless in continuing to speak on Pastor Debaj's behalf. And Pastor Debaj was released. But the day after his release, Pastor Haik disappeared. And he was later found stabbed to death. Letters came from the Iranian Christ followers to the church leaders. And they said, don't be sad and don't be afraid. We too, we're also ready to give our lives for Jesus. And they said, if we don't fear death, Nothing can stop the church. And so Pastor Debaj said at Pastor Hayek's funeral, you know, when Jesus was crucified, if there was one man there, who knew that he died for him. It was Barabbas. And if there's one man in Iran today that knows that Pastor Debaj died for them, it's me. And he prayed that Hayek, I'm sorry, died for him, it's me. And he prayed and he said, Lord, because you died in our place, From now on, I give my life to live only for you and to die only for you. That same year, Pastor Debaj was brutally murdered. Others have been as well. But now, there are house churches all over the country experiencing a revival that cannot be stopped by the government. It can't be contained in buildings, and it's spreading. I was just talking to somebody this morning about who was just in an Iranian service in Turkey and saw Iranians come to the Lord there just a couple of weeks ago. More Iranians have become Christ followers, listen to this, in the past 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries combined since Islam came to Iran. And in 1979, there were an estimated 500 believers who'd come to Jesus out of Islam. And now they estimate that that number is in the hundreds of thousands. Some say even more than a million. So our main idea this morning is that God's purposes in the earth are expressed in Jesus' reign through his church His kingdom expansion is a story of movements of movements throughout history and across geography, language, and culture to the ends of the earth. This story knows no borders. Governments can't stop it. Everyone is included. All are invited. And his purposes extend across the globe to the ends of the earth and to the ends of history. So we're going to go back to where it all began. We're going to go back to the book of Acts, the genesis of these unstoppable movements. And in Acts, we find a series of stories describing the rapid increase of Jesus' kingdom through the Holy Spirit's presence and power in the disciples. This is a story of the early church, and it's a story that continues today in Iran. It continues today in Fort Worth, Texas you guys, we get to be part of this story. And in the beginning of Acts, Jesus had suffered and died and he'd been resurrected, but he hadn't yet ascended to the father. So he spent 40 days with his apostles talking with them about his resurrection and about the kingdom of God. And Jesus has risen. He's begun a new covenant A new creation. He's in a transformed body. And a life in which heaven and earth meet. And God is doing a new thing in the earth. Now as apostles, they were a little slow. Which gives me great comfort. Because I can be really slow sometimes. And they want to know, okay Jesus, your kingdom. So you're restoring the kingdom to Israel, right? We're going to get our kingdom back. They're thinking of a national kingdom with borders. And he was transforming their view of his kingdom, what it means. And he answers with the last thing that's recorded before his ascension. So it must be important, the last thing he said. Jesus says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling me people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what does he mean here by you'll be my witnesses? It's easy for us in our current worldview to miss what he's saying. If you look up witness in Webster's dictionary, it says that a witness is someone who gives evidence or testimony. And that's true. A witness does that. But during the first century, think about this. They didn't have CNN, Fox News, Voxer, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Threema, all these things, these social media platforms to spread the news of a good king, of a new king. You couldn't turn on your TV and watch the inauguration on a major network. So whenever in that day someone was enthroned as king, the new authority would take effect through heralds or witnesses going throughout the king's territory, proclaiming the good news of a good king. And it was good news because without a king, there was lawlessness and chaos. And we are sent to the ends of the earth to proclaim the good news of a new king in this time of his now and not yet kingdom. We are his heralds. There's a day coming when every knee will bow. But what a privilege to live in this time and to be able to proclaim the good news of a new king. And he promises power, the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, to be his heralds. The word power, it's the word from which we get the word dynamite. I mean, it's power power. And it's God's ability. He gives us his ability to accomplish his purposes. And so his promises, he gives us power and his ability to be his witnesses anywhere and everywhere he leads us. And I can tell you, we need the Holy Spirit. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to fulfill his mandate. A friend of mine ministers Throughout the Muslim world. And somebody asked her recently, they said, um, Do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And she looked at him and she said, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. And, you know, we need, how many of y'all can say amen to that? We need the Holy Spirit. And so, His apostles were undergoing a paradigm shift. This kingdom of Jesus is not defined by geography or politics. It's a redemptive kingdom, and it's in and through the hearts of men, women, and children everywhere. It's not of this world, but it's for this world. And God's kingdom reign brings transformation in this world as the love, power, and presence of the king comes in our lives and into our spheres of influence and into those that we meet, whether we're in Walmart or whether we're in Libya And it's not about being taken away from this world to the sweet by and by when we all get to heaven. Yes, I'm glad I'm going to be with Jesus face to face. But in this time, I want to see heaven come to earth. God's reality, the rule of the king come in and through our lives to others. So Jesus has inaugurated a kingdom and he's launched a movement. Now we're going to take a road trip through Acts quick. Put on your seatbelts, just to get a sense of the movement and momentum of this good news of the kingdom after the Holy Spirit has come upon them. So we're going to look at Acts through the lens of movements. So the Book of Acts covers 32 years, and during this time, the movement that Jesus began spread throughout much of the known world, and it didn't look very promising at the beginning. At the end of Jesus' life, he had 11 apostles. Judas had betrayed him and committed suicide. And then they selected Matthias to replace Judas. And there were about 108 others. There were 120 people gathering in the upper room. In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon all the believers in one place. They were transformed by the power of the Spirit, and it was noisy. They began to speak in languages they didn't know, and thousands who had gathered in Jerusalem for the festival heard these languages and this loud noise, and they came running. And they gathered around, and Peter preached, and 3,000 came to the Lord that day. I mean, that's not a bad day when you look at it. It's not a, you know, let's, yeah, good. We're off to a good start. But y'all, this is the same Peter that Jamie talked about a couple of weeks ago who denied Jesus. He'd been humbled and restored. And when Jesus said, do you love him? He said, yes. Do you love me? He said, yes, with a brotherly love. But now this is Peter filled and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the movement grows. And so Peter tells those in the crowd that this promise of Christ and his salvation, it's not just for you, but it's for your children and it's for those far away. It's a promise for succeeding generations throughout the earth. In Acts 4, the established religious leaders confront Peter and John. They were preaching Jesus, the resurrection. And they had seen they had Peter had grabbed a man who had been lame from birth and he had been healed outside the temple. The religious authorities were threatened and they arrested them. And so what happens? The number of Christ's crop followers grows to five thousand. And then Peter and John were freed and rejoined the believers. And then in Acts 6, this is about two years after Jesus' ascension. Just listen to the movement that's happening in the book of Acts. The believers rapidly multiplied. God's word reigned supreme and kept spreading. The number of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem grew quickly and it increased by the day. I pray that the number of believers in our own city would increase by the day. And many priests came, Jewish priests And then in Acts 7 and 8, we have a plot twist. Stephen was falsely accused, and he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. In Acts 8, on the day he was martyred, a great wave of persecution began. And Saul enters the scene, and he was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went house to house, and he was dragging out both men and women and throwing them into prison. Okay, Selah, pause and think about this. I don't want y'all to miss this. Women were thrown into prison. That means they were active participants in proclaiming the good news. Theologian and Middle East expert Ken Bailey points out that, you know, women were at the cross. They weren't hindered by the authorities. They came and went as they pleased because they were not viewed as a threat. But that had significantly changed. Women we were now seen as leaders also and were a threat to the status quo. Now you guys, somebody say amen to that. That is good news right there. So, so the believers were scattered by persecution throughout Judea and Samaria, and they preached the good news of Jesus wherever they went. They became refugees. That's a very definition of a refugee. Somebody has to leave their home to escape persecution. And so now this good news of the kingdom is spread beyond Jerusalem, throughout Judea and into Samaria. In Acts 9, this is about four years after Jesus' ascension, Saul becomes Paul. And this chapter continues with the church all over Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experiencing a season of peace. The congregations grew larger and larger, And the believers were empowered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That's what I pray for us today, is that we would be empowered and encouraged by the Spirit. And in Acts 10, remember 10 years after the ascension, the good news goes to the Gentiles. While Peter was preaching at the house of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell and they were baptized. In Acts 11, the city of Antioch in Syria at that time, became the central base. This was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, and this was around 13 years after Jesus had been on the earth. And it says a great number believed in Jesus. There's a theme here. In Acts 12, AD 44, King Herod executed James and arrested Peter. You really want to boost your prayer life and get, and build your faith. Read Acts 12 because Peter was released through prayer. And I love it. He came and knocked on the door where they were praying and they didn't even believe he was there. They couldn't believe that God had answered their prayer. I love that. But. <laughs> What? we got to keep praying. What? You're here? And uh, this chapter ends with God's Word growing and multiplying. We're seeing themes in the book of Acts of persecution and multiplication, opposition and advancement, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 13, there's a prayer meeting and a turning point. Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the Holy Spirit and sent out from the church at Antioch. And I believe that God is setting apart people by the Holy Spirit in this church of Antioch to go for the work and for the ministry that he's called you. So Paul and Barnabas, they leave and they go to, their first stop was a Pisidian Antioch. There was, it's kind of like the name John. There were a lot of Antiochs in that day in Turkey and they preached to Jews first. And the following week, listen to this, nearly Everyone in this city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I was trying to think, you know, we're building that new Dickies arena here. And I'm like, all right, everybody in Fort Worth gathers to hear the word of the Lord. They wouldn't fit in Dickies. But just imagine that arena being filled with people wanting to hear the word of the Lord. And it says that God's word spread like wildfire throughout the entire region. I mean, that's what we saw in Iran. His word is spreading like wildfire. So then we get into Paul's journeys in Acts 13 through 28. Many Jews and non-Jews heard the prophetic word of the Lord. And the book of Acts concludes with Paul's shipwreck and transfer to house arrest in Rome. What, What did he do? He kept proclaiming Jesus. Persecution, hardship did not stop Paul. And by the end of Acts... The good news of Jesus' kingdom had spread from Jerusalem among the Jews to the Gentiles throughout Asia and Greece, and had ended up in Rome, the center of the empire. This was over the course of 32 years. So the written book of Acts ends here. But it's only the beginning of the acts of Jesus through the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in 8300, the number of believers had grown to around 6 million people. This is about 10% of the people in the Roman Empire in that day. So Christianity spread was fast and spontaneous. No movement in history had achieved such a reach in a dominant culture without military force. And so for the first three centuries, the church saw movements that filled the world. But, in the century since we 've only seen these movements sporadically the Moravians, the Baptists, the Methodists, etc these movements are hugely impactful, but they 're not frequent or widespread enough to see every people reached and for all nations to have witnesses, image bearers to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So, in the 1970s just recently, there were some paradigm shifts around among mission leaders that reframe the way that we look at the world and we look at people groups instead of nation states we begin to see the world differently and to reach all of these peoples we would need to cross cultures and think differently paradigms matter just one paradigm shift has shi- this these paradigm shifts have shifted the trajectory of the church and now in our generation we can identify the task remaining since the mid 1990s we're seeing the emergence of book of acts like movements that are transforming the places that they're happening now it began as a trickle in the mid 1990s there were three large modern movements that were known now and i have to i i mean i have to look this number changes all the time Now we're seeing over 980 of these disciple-making movements globally. Look at the, um, there's a chart that just shows here. You can see, just to get a sense of the movement that has happened since the, there we go, since the 90s. You guys, look at this. This is 2017. Look at the curve. And these movements are made up, this is what God's doing in our day. I mean, this is incredible. And these movements are made up of small communities of believers or life groups in a lot of places. They don't meet in buildings like this. And they're exponential in growth, both deep and wide. They include multiple generations of Christ followers and multiple streams. And they're movements of saints, just like you and me. The only place where we're seeing kingdom growth, outstrip population growth, is where these movements are happening. Where they aren't happening, the numbers of those coming to Christ aren't keeping up with population growth. And in a recent global survey of fruitful mission leaders, one question was asked, what is God doing uniquely in our generation? And they all gave similar answers. God is calling us. To finish the task of engaging every unreached and unengaged place through movements. And most added with a deadline that creates urgency. And they went on to say there, there are um, movements happening to, to see the gospel of the kingdom pro- proclaimed to all nations by 2025. I mean, that's not that far from now, but there God is at work. And here's the astounding thing to me, this is mind-boggling as I think about it, this is more people have come to faith in Jesus in the last 60 years, almost my lifetime, than all the rest of church history in the previous 2,000 years combined. We are witnessing the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history. God is at work. We are living in a Kairos time in the Muslim world and in so many parts of the world where God is saying now. And what if we shifted the way that we thought and thought, man, when we go interact with people, maybe they're more ready to hear than we're really ready and willing to tell God's at work and he's drawing people to himself. What if, I mean, just learning this shifts my own sense of expectancy and hope of the Holy Spirit drawing people to himself. So God's purposes in the earth, though, I'll tell you this, it's not going to be the work of a few. It's not going to be the undertaking of a handful of superstar pastors like the ones we have here at Antioch, they can't do it alone. If it's to happen, it's because the Spirit of God is raising up an army of ordinary people, men and women, who will go to the nations. Here, you don't even have to leave Fort Worth to go to the nations because they're coming here and abroad and to wherever He sends you, like He sent Paul and Barnabas to make disciples. That's what God has always done. In Acts 4, the religious leaders, you know, this was after when we talked about it a little bit earlier, after the man who had been crippled from birth had been healed and the religious leaders were threatened. And they, it says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. What set those men apart? They noticed that they had been with Jesus, but they were ordinary men. How many of you feel ordinary? How many of you qualify as ordinary? (laughs) I qualify and unschooled. I know we've got a lot of education in here, but these guys were not trained rabbis or theologians. So what does this mean for us as a church and a movement? I can tell you this, the places that are left or unreached are hard. They're in the midst of conflict and war and persecution. Persecution is at the highest levels in modern history. There's poverty, darkness, and and corruption. But here's the thing, I've given you a lot of good news, and here's our invitation, even with the movements that are happening Almost half the world lives in unreached people groups. There are few followers of Jesus, and they need believers from other groups to come and learn the language and tell them about Jesus. And of those, about half of them live in frontier groups. They don't have anyone in their culture, in their group, to tell them the news of Jesus. They don't know. You know, we live in a time in which social justice is emphasized. I'm reading Drew Stedman's book, The Gospel According to Culture. And as he pointed out in his book, he said, the fact that nearly half the world's population doesn't have a chance to hear the gospel message is the greatest injustice of our day. And it's also a compelling invitation to his church I mean I've been in parts of the world where there are few if any believers. Hey, do you know Jesus? Hey, does he live in the next village? No, I don't know him. Or who is Jesus? No, they have no idea who is who he is. And in some of these places the the scenery is beautiful. I love the Rockies. I'm a Colorado gal at heart, but um but I've been to some places where the mountains are just magnificent, and they speak to the glory of God, and I see them, and I just start worshiping the Lord. But not one time have I heard these mountains proclaim and tell the story of Jesus who and the cross and His resurrection and proclaim His kingdom in words. So Jesus has reserved that privilege for you and for me as image bearers and His heralds. We're God's plan A. You guys, there is no plan B. We're it. And it might mean you go. It might mean you stay. These unreached nations are coming to us. You can go. I mean, it's amazing. I have friends from Kabul who live here in Fort Worth. I mean, it's it's amazing to me, the nations that are here. But we all have the ability to pray. One of the key things, wherever you find disciple-making movements... You find extraordinary prayer. You can go around the world in prayer and pray for our workers that have been sent. And we can give. We can give of our finances. It might mean you give of your expertise. I mean, I, you know, I had an MBA. I was so thankful I had that in Afghanistan. God's doing some creative things through business and education and other medicine. Lots of ways that God is at work. Regardless, everyone in here has a ministry of reconciliation. You are God's grace in your community, in your workplace, in your home. So a movement leader in Nairobi was asked the key to his success, success. And he said, all I do is copy. I look and I read what Jesus did and I do that. And he said, you know, I don't plant churches. I grow sons and daughters. He makes disciples. And it's a lifestyle of discipleship and a culture of intentionality that we model together and for each other. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take some time to pray today. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to refresh you and and encourage you. And if you would like to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, if you guys can come up here in the worship team and the altar people to pray. We're going to have people up here to pray with you. And if you are stirred to go short term or long term, I was sitting in a Sunday morning service in, in Austin some years ago. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm changing the trajectory of your life. And it was, and he spoke to me, uh, the Genesis of a word that ended up to me you know, with me living in Kabul, Afghanistan. So maybe He's speaking to you about going, come and pray with someone. Maybe He's put a nation or a worker on your heart you'd like to pray for. And if you'd like prayer for anything in your life, we're here to pray. Don't leave here without getting prayer. So everybody stand up. Thank you. Everybody stand up. And... Uh, yeah and and come forward receive prayer be filled with the holy spirit let's pray